Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, A Danger from Within, with a message titled, The Character of False Teachers. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 10 to 16, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. It has become in our day rather, well, let's say indelicate to point out false teachers and to warn people against them. And yes, I know there are websites on the Internet dedicated to just this. But, you know, in a great many cases, we know nothing about the people who are making the accusations. And anyone who takes the time to read some of that stuff on the Internet will come to the conclusion that the people who post that Well, they're people who are by nature accusatory. That is to say, you know, they're known for constant accusation against others, not for being faithful and trusted leaders in their local church. So we get a sense that they're acting on their own. But among faithful, known Christian leaders, the idea of throwing rocks, if you will, at someone else's ministry seems, as I've said, indelicate. Aren't we supposed to be on the same side? And yet, the Jesus who was known for his compassion on the outcast and on the sinner had a great deal of harsh things to say about false teachers. I mean, Jesus saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees as false teachers, and when he spoke of them, he wasn't discreet at all. So, for instance, listen to what he said in Matthew 23, 27, and 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I think that Peter learned from Jesus to be both gracious and gentle to the stumbling and to the forsaken, but to be harsh and judgmental towards false teachers. As we come to the center of 2 Peter chapter 2, we're going to hear Peter become quite harsh at false teachers. So let's listen to his description of them. I'm reading 2 Peter 2, 10b to 16. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime, their blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now, in our day, we would call that a rant. But I don't think it's a rant. I mean, for one, if you think about what's said in a typical rant, an individual's just sounding off and saying whatever comes to mind at the moment. Then as time passes, it's time to, you know, edit the rant somewhat for what was said in the heat of the moment, you know, needs to be evaluated again with careful reasoning that we might expect from a more dispassionate moment. But again, in Second Peter, yeah, I know it sounds like a rant, but when we take time to carefully examine what Peter said, the description is articulate and it's telling. 
You know, in the next section of 2 Peter, that's the section we're going to examine tomorrow, Peter's going to take some time and describe the impact of false teaching. But here, he dissects for us the nature of the false teacher. And as we follow Peter's reasoning, let's see if we can divide the paragraph into a number of sections that might help us gain a better insight into what Peter has said. You know, first from verses 10b to 11, we're going to notice that Peter thinks a defining characteristic of the false teacher is that the false teacher will not submit to legitimate authority. And then second from verses 12 to 13a, Peter shockingly will make the point that the false teachers are not only unrepentant, but they will always remain unrepentant. We'll have to take some time to unpack that. Is there really no redemptive hope for a false teacher? Then third in verses 13b and 14, Peter describes their morality. And then finally, in verses 15 and 16, he speaks about the only thing that will restrain them. So that's where we're going. We're going to describe the false teacher himself or herself rather than asking the question of their impact. So first, Peter says false teachers are men and women who despise legitimate authority. We already got that from the first part of verse 10 where he said they despise authority. So which authority is he talking about? You know, the context seems to be that they refuse to submit to legitimate spiritual authority. Look, Jesus didn't submit to the authority of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Reformers didn't submit to the authority of the Roman Church. Submitting to authority doesn't mean submitting to any and all church authority. Notice I've said legitimate authority. When the leaders of Israel became false teachers, faithful men and women should not and did not submit. When the Pope and the religious establishment made laws out of non-biblical traditions. It's important then not to submit. Submission to the godless, that's not a virtue. And so I think it's necessary to talk about legitimate authority. And we're going to have to answer what it is. But before we do that, let's understand that Peter characterizes these men as submitting to no authority at all, save their own. And that's the key. For true teachers of the word are people who are under authority. Instead, the false teachers are essentially lawless. So let's see how Peter describes them by rereading verses 10b to 11. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Now that's a difficult passage. So first of all, Who are the glorious ones that Peter mentions? And the Greek word is here the word doxos, literally glories. You know, some have argued that it must refer to fallen church leaders. But church leaders are never called the glorious ones. If we look at how Jude uses that very same word in verse 8 of his book, where he's clearly referring to angels, but, but which angels? You know, at first glance, we would have to say, it must mean good angels. I mean, those who didn't fall into sin. I mean, why in the world would you ever call fallen angels doxas, glories? But here we get a bit murky. You know, in Jude, Jude refers to the glorious ones as fallen angels and then remarks that when the archangel Michael was disputing with the devil over the body of Moses, he didn't presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment against the devil. Rather, he simply said, the Lord rebuke you. He left all judgment to the Lord. Now, is Peter using the term that way? See, the point that Jude makes is the false teachers make a point 
of blaspheming and slandering everyone, even though the language they use would not even be used by the archangel Michael in his dispute with the devil. Now, from my reading of this text in 2 Peter, it seems to me that that Peter's using the term exactly as Jude is. Angels who are greater in power and authority than the glorious ones, and in here it means the demons, yet even these angels don't pronounce a judgment against demons, but rather they leave all judgment to God. And why is that? Well, that's easy. Angels bow before the authority of God. They know that judgment is up to God, not up to them. Angels though in fact glorious and more glorious than the demons, don't presume to think they can ever function except under divine authority. Judgment isn't theirs, it belongs to God, and they never presume to enter into territory that is God's territory alone. So stop and think about that, will you? Why do you think that no Christian must ever say of someone else after their death they've gone to hell? See, it's not your judgment to make. Now, says Peter, let's talk about the attitude of false teachers. He calls them bold and willful. They're people who don't tremble as they blaspheme. That is, they have no difficulty of harming the reputation of another. So what's the lesson that we need to learn here? Well, Peter has been teaching us in the last chapter that what Scripture teaches and what the apostles were then writing down, that's not made up by them. It's rather from God. And all teachers must be under and submissive to the scriptures and to the apostles. And so teachers have to be men or women who are under authority, always trembling that they might contradict even one word that's written in sacred text. They should have the attitude that's described in Isaiah 66 verse 2, which says, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. But the false teachers don't. Even the angels tremble that they might speak something that's only to be spoken by God, but false teachers don't have that same attitude. I remember years ago seeing a preacher having a tattoo on his arm, Leviticus 19.28, it said. Now, what is that? Well, it's the Old Testament prohibition against tattooing your body. Now, it might be argued that the Old Testament command is to be understood in a context, and it's not applicable to the modern practice of tattooing. But think about what this man was doing. He was basically mocking the command of God. False teachers tremble before no authority. Indeed, they're enamored by their own authority and their own freedom rather than submitting to God. Here at Back to the Bible Canada, we're committed to the mission of providing excellence in Bible teaching you can trust in every medium possible. Both Bible teaching and engagement programs are available online through video, print, radio, podcast, mobile app, and CD. It's our prayer that anyone who tunes in will discover encouragement for their spiritual journey and insight for living through the study of the Bible. All of these resources are made possible through the faithful support of our listeners. It's your generous donations that allow the mission to be accomplished. So thank you for all you do. And remember that if you want to receive our monthly gift this month, Dr. John's new booklet, 10 Questions About Money Matters, all you need to do is visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. And thanks again for your generous support. (music) 
Peter's been warning about false teachers, and his first warning has been that false teachers mock authority. In truth, they don't tremble before the word, nor will they submit to any legitimate spiritual authority that's been placed over them. They're prideful and self-willed. Now, the second character trait of the false teacher, as I've already said, this one is shocking to many. False teachers never repent. Yeah, you heard it. And you might wonder if I've misunderstood Peter's point, so let's review what he said. Verses 12 to 13a. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. See, false teachers come up with impressive new ideas, showing they're unwilling to be content with the Scripture and the Scripture's authority. They're on the hunt for something new. And then Peter compares them to animals, and he uses several adjectives to describe what kind of animals he has in mind. The first is that they're irrational, or another translation, brute beasts. That is, the point that Peter wants to make is not so much that they're irrational or incapable of reason, but rather they operate according to instinct. That is, they do what their instinct nature dictates. And that is when a decision is to be made or a course for the future is to be plotted. False teachers will always resort to their desires rather than to reason. They will do what suits their needs, not the good of their followers. And that gives us the impression that such teachers don't see the importance of repentance and submission to God. Their instinct makes that an impossibility. That's the basic point. But Peter, using the image of a beast that operates according to instinct, goes further and said that such creatures are born to be caught and destroyed. So the image is one of hunting. Hunters go after certain animals, and these animals just won't escape. And that's because creatures of instinct are understood by capable hunters who use the instinctive response of such creatures against them. I mean, they know how to trick them and trap them and kill them. And Peter's saying that there is an inevitability about false teachers. Now, is Peter saying that God himself has predestined them to destruction? Yeah, I think that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying that eventually they're going to fall into God's hands and they're going to be destroyed. And Peter calls it the wage for their wrongdoing. And the question that might be asked is whether Peter thinks that false teachers will be undone in this world or in the one to come. And Peter doesn't answer that question for us. And if we think about it, you know, a great many false teachers have been disgraced during their own lifetimes. Some have not. But even among those who are not, the legacy that false teachers leave behind is always a byword or a warning to others. And all of that brings us to the idea that these teachers are born to be caught. That is, there is an inevitability about all of this. Peter mentions no repentance here, only destruction. But someone might respond, well, don't some false teachers see the error of their ways and repent? Isn't the idea that they respond only to instinct rather than to reason, well, isn't that a bit extreme? Aren't some offered mercy and don't some accept it? See, I do know that this text offers no such grace. And, you know, for myself, I can only say that I don't know of false teachers who repent. I know of one who recently said that he'd no longer preach the prosperity gospel, nor use it as a means of telling his followers to support his ministry. You know, he'd been saying that the way to get rich was to give to his ministry. But here's what I also noticed, that shortly after he made that public announcement, 
in very short order, he was again using the very same language to get people to give. You see, he saw reason for a moment and then went right back to instinct. I guess all I can say is that Christ holds out the opportunity to repent, to come to him and live. He offers that to everyone. It's just that I don't know of a false teacher who's done that, and that's sobering. If you're going to be a teacher of the Bible, look, watch out. You've got to check your attitude, check your motives, check whether you're able to submit to the very word that you preach. But if you're self-serving and proud, you know, just stay away from being a preacher. Be anything else, for the record and fate of false teachers should frighten you. Now, Peter mentions the third thing about false teachers, verses 13b and 14. He says, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. And the idea here is not the impact they make on others, but on their personal morality. So let's start with reveling in the daytime. And the word to revel is usually associated with intemperate feasting and drinking. It's also associated with living a life of unbridled luxury. And to do so in the daytime is to do so in full view of everyone. You know, it's not that I think that Peter's point is that these guys are only party animals. Rather, it's their want to fulfill their desires. It's so great they can't even wait for nightfall. Peter may have had a number of Old Testament examples in mind. Ecclesiastes 10:16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning, you see. Isaiah 5, verse 11 says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. See, in Isaiah, we see that people make licentious living an all-day affair. They indulge any time they want to. And Peter adds more. When he says they're blots and blemishes, he means that these men stain the reputation of the church. So let's think of a contemporary example of that. When certain media preachers fly their own personal jets and live a lifestyle of the most self-indulgent movie star, doesn't that stain the entire body of Christ? Yes, of course it does. Then Peter says they revel in their deceptions while they feast on you. And behind that idea is the idea that false teachers use their followers to get what they want. That's what the idea of they feast on you. You're the means for them accomplishing their goals. But the fact that they revel in their deception, that is, they pretend to be ministers of the gospel, teaching people the gospel of Jesus, that's a pretense. It's a shameful one. But still, Peter's not done talking about the morality of the false teacher. They have eyes, he says, full of adultery. The Greek literally reads, having eyes full of an adulteress. I think by that, Peter means that they look at every woman as a potential candidate for adultery. They're always looking. And contrast that attitude with that of Job, who in Job 31 verse 1 said that he had made a covenant with his eyes never to look lustfully at a woman. We hardly have to think hard to come up with points of application in today's world where sexual sin among some leaders has become expected. That's a blot and a blemish on the Christian faith. Every time we hear about one more leader caught in adultery, we create more people who won't even consider the Christian faith. But someone might protest, I mean, isn't it possible for for even a faithful minister to fall into sin in that way? Well, yeah, I know it is. But I know of one such faithful minister who, after he had sinned in just such a way, 
without any danger of being caught, told his wife first, and then called a meeting of the church board, informed them, and then promptly resigned, saying, I'm no longer qualified to be your leader. That's what repentance looks like among the faithful. But among the unfaithful, the eye of adultery just never ceases. Well, now Peter's been painting a picture of the false teacher. And interestingly enough, he's not focused so much on what they taught, but rather the kind of a person that he is. He's begun by saying that the false teacher won't submit to proper authority, and now he paints him as living according to the flesh. Then Peter brings this discussion to a conclusion. Verse 15, forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. And the point of using the Balaam example is that Balaam was a prophet for hire. He'd say whatever the person who was paying him told him to say. The fact that Balaam was rebuked by his donkey is, I think, an example of Peter's humor. Look at that, says Peter. This man was rebuked by one of the irrational animals I was talking about earlier. Even the donkey knew the ways of God better than that man. And those of us who know the end of the story will recall that after having been frightened by God, not to give a false prophecy, Balaam then counseled Israel's enemies to seduce them into sexual immorality. In the end, according to Numbers 31 verse 8, Israel killed Balaam with the sword. Eventually, the prophet was destroyed, and that's the lesson for all of God's people. Never follow a man who uses his ministry to advance his own agenda, rather than to care for and feed and nourish and heal the flock. True servants of God lay down their lives for the sheep. False servants use the sheep to advance their own ends. Thanks so much, John, for your message. Let me ask you this. Would you say there's a connection between teaching false doctrine and morality? Yeah, there'd have to be because um, whatever it is that we teach or whatever it is that we believe, there is always effect on living. There's no such thing in Scripture as teaching something independent of the way in which we live our lives. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's why, I mean, as we read through this passage in Second Peter, he uses such, you know, inflammatory language because he's trying to awaken us uh, to the reality that things like uh, adultery and greed and so forth. And, you know, I mean, you just think about some of those things, especially the adultery and greed, and you think about it in terms of the outcome of a human life. So this is very, very significant. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Danger From Within, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. In our society, the topic of money is often regarded as taboo. However, God in his word certainly doesn't keep quiet on the matter and he's provided us with an abundance of financial direction. On that note, we're thrilled to offer you our newest resource, a short booklet called 10 Questions About Money Matters, based on Dr. John's audio series, God and Money. This booklet addresses 10 common money-related concerns from a biblical perspective, some insight to help better bring glory to God with our resources. Because we feel this topic is so important to your spiritual walk, We want to offer you this resource free for the whole month of August. So simply request your copy today 
Or if you'd like to offer a gift to support the ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.